Scott Hanselman, my co-host here on This Developer's Life, as if you didn't know, has a set of places that he likes to work at, which he calls his third place. It's not his home, not his office, but somewhere in between with fast Wi-Fi where he can get some work done. Today, it's a local bagel shop with a Fios connection. It's Saturday, May 9th. Scott's in his third place, early to catch up on some work. He's downloaded the newest release of Visual Studio, so he's been asked to check out some UI changes. There's been a lot of drama recently regarding the new look and feel of the application, and Scott's been asked to go over it. The first thing that catches Scott's eye is the save icon. It's a floppy disk, an artifact from the earliest days of computing that literally no one uses anymore. So why does it represent the notion of saving something? Scott's an avid blogger. When inspiration hits, it hits. He starts writing. 30 minutes later, he has a post. 40 minutes later, he's on Slashdot. And that's when his dramatic day begins. First, there was this rush of excitement. I was like, ah, I wrote something that people like. Maybe they'll say nice things in the comments. And I was excited about that. So there's like, oh yeah, you're right. It is true, you know? It's funny because it's true. Which is very kind of Seinfeldian, right? And then this comment on Slashdot, uh, I was saying that the settings dialog on my iPhone was weird because it had gears and a screwdriver and maybe a kid had to know what a gear was. And if he hadn't played with tools, he wouldn't know what a screwdriver was. So this guy wrote this like screed I don't know if there's another word other than screed to describe what it was. And he's like, if you're confused as to what a screwdriver is, find one and insert it into, into your ear to clean it out. out. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is hollow. Just ram it in one end and out the other and do the world a favor. <sighs> I mean, that was not designed to make me feel good about myself. I don't even know you. What? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Where do I put that? What? So I sat there like a gog, gobsmacked, looking at this comment, kind of oscillating back and forth between, well, it's Slashdot. You know, that's actually pretty nice compared to most Slashdot comments. And, well, at least it wasn't YouTube. You know, I mean, it was a pretty mean comment, but it didn't exactly invoke Hitler. But ultimately, I had to say, dude, I'm like a real guy here. You know what I mean? This is, you know, you know this hand? This is the yes, dear kind of hands where you kind of go, whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened? Like, I realized it wasn't my best work, but... I didn't realize that we'd worked up to that point in our relationship where you tell me to go and die. This Developer's Life is brought to you by Codebrush for Visual Studio. We appreciate their support. With Consume First Declaration, powerful templates, smart selection tools, intelligent code analysis, innovative navigation, and an unrivaled collection of visual refactorings all working together. Your development productivity will increase dramatically. Get CodeRush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash CodeRush. 
got an email from this guy who was obviously an older gentleman, probably 70 maybe. I don't know. I could just tell, if you know what I'm saying, by the way that it was written. And he says, old people like icons. You know what? F*** you. I was writing a Sembara code before you were born, you little ageist bastard. Please try and stick to something you're allegedly good at, like writing really f***y code for the idiots in Redmond, okay? This episode has been pretty difficult for me personally to complete. On one hand, it became this thing that I had to finish before moving on. My own personal Duke Nukem forever. On the other hand, the subject matter drives quite deep. And I found the more I tried to finish it, the harder it became. Our theme this week is drama. Where it comes from, how we react to it. And I won't lie to you, putting this show together depressed me. Assembling the clips and the stories reminded me of so many pointless arguments that I've had, where hours get wasted and feelings get hurt. And for what? Where does this anxiety come from? That's what we try and find out this week. We've reached out to a number of our friends for this episode, and in each case, asked them about a recent flare-up in the JavaScript community. The Great Semicolon Affair. In April of 2012, Jacob Thornton, JavaScript developer at Twitter, handled an issue report for Twitter's open-source project, Twitter Bootstrap. Trying to make sense of all this, I asked Peter Cooper to break it all down. My memories of semicolons go back to 1991 when I first started to learn C. And having come from BASIC, they were a bit of an alien concept to me, but I didn't find them too problematic, uh, reasonably easy to learn. But I had no basis on which to question them, so I just got on with it. I'd just been doing BASIC. I was not advanced at all. Um, despite being okay with them, though, I kept leaving them off of lines all the time, and the compilers would pick up the errors, and I didn't really become comfortable with them for many years. And later I picked up Pascal, which made life even more complicated. It has periods that end a program, and you don't need to use semicolons on the last statements of blocks and things like that. And then we come to JavaScript. So like in a handful of modern dynamic languages, you don't have to use semi, uh, semicolons in JavaScript, although you can if you like. Um, although given you know, JavaScript has a C and Java-inspired syntax, JavaScript interpreters are supposed to perform what they call automatic semicolon insertion uh, upon code that lacks semicolons and would otherwise be invalid without it. So I was around the JavaScript community sort of in the late 90s on the news groups and things like that, and relying upon automatic semicolon insertion at that time had a really strong reputation for being a, a lazy thing to do. You were leaning on the interpreter's behavior to merely save typing a few semicolons. And in more recent times, this ASI, as it's sometimes called, has become a feature for many developers who deliberately choose not to use semicolons. They write stuff without the semicolons and lean on ASI. Now, one thing that they argue is that the, the rules behind ASI aren't particularly tricky to learn. So they also argue that any good JavaScript developer will understand these rules and can write semicolon-free uh, code without any problems. Now, there has been some friction between different groups that adopt this approach and those that take the harder use semicolons everywhere approach. And it came to a head when someone raised an issue against the Twitter Bootstrap project, saying that JSMin, which is a popular JavaScript minification tool, uh, broke the, the Twitter Bootstrap code. 
and one of the project lead developers, Jacob Thornton, aka Fat, he closed the issue quite swiftly, saying that JS Min was buggy. Nope, that's a bug in JS Min. Probably should let Douglas Crockford know about it, though. Thanks. Uh oh. And Jasmine's author, Douglas Crockford, very uh, famous JavaScript developer, um, wrote JavaScript The Good Parts. He rapidly entered the discussion and said that the coding question was insanely stupid, that he wouldn't dumb down Jasmine for that case, and that people should learn to use semicolons properly. That is insanely stupid code. I'm not going to dumb down Jasmine for this case. TC39 is considering the use of Bang as an infix operator. This code will break in the future. Fix it now. Learn to use semicolons properly. Bang is not intended to be a statement separator. Semicolons. You've managed to make Crockford mad. Now what are you going to do? Well, Jacob's response really didn't help anything. And Jacob came back and said, I have learned to use them. That's why there isn't one present here. And long story short, it turned into a major debate with even JavaScript's creator Brendan Eich getting into the fray with a blog post called The Infernal Semicolon. You can see how long this issue has uh, gone on for. And he noted that ASI is, formally speaking, a syntactic error correction procedure. If you start to code as if it were a universal significant new line rule, you will get into trouble. And I don't want to add to this drama, but I don't have the aesthetic disdain for semicolons that many modern progressive developers seem to. We have fuel... We have air, plenty of it hot, and now we have ignition. Flames are beginning to grow, and the battle line's drawn, all over a small bit of punctuation. This is where this show starts to get personal for me. I'm watching my friends take sides and write things to and about each other that is less than kind. I'm 12 again, watching my parents' marriage dissolve in front of me, an overwhelming conflict that I want no part of. It has a gravity all its own. Of course semicolons are important. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, it's in the language specification for JavaScript. Sure, the ASI or automatic semicolon insertion is also in the language specification, but it's listed as an error condition where the JavaScript runtime will insert the semicolons for you. And I don't know about you, but having the runtime do extra work because I'm lazy or it offends my sense of aesthetics just seems a little ridiculous to me. And on top of that, the number of potential problems that you can cause by people not being able to minify your code when they're trying to use it in their project. I mean, that's that's nothing more than arrogance and rude, if you ask me. But really, what's the purpose of leaving them out? Is it an extra character to type? I mean, that implies that typing is the hard part of software development, which we all know is as far from the truth as you can get. That was Derek Bailey with his thoughts on why semicolons are important. And as you can hear, strong opinions are surfacing. Why such a strong stance? It might seem out of place until you consider that a huge number of developers are rediscovering JavaScript a very old language, through frameworks like Node.js and CoffeeScript. These new developers are bringing a cultural shift that is not always welcome. Their code looks strange. Their language is unfamiliar. JavaScript 
is the community these days. I don't know how you can be a developer and not write JavaScript. So I think what we see right now with Crockford and the people that parrot him, uh, you know, as, as we said before we started recording, the guys that wrote DHTML in 1996 when JavaScript was hell, right? Those people are really uh, losing a voice in the community because JavaScript is becoming so ubiquitous and so many people are learning to use it and there's so many great libraries now to save you from yourself, you know, to, to abstract away the, the browser and the various things that are weird. And then you get into people that are writing uh, things like CoffeeScript to compile into JavaScript to make sure you absolutely always do the right thing. You know, this makes, this makes the, the Crockfordites crazy. They can't stand this, but it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. They're going to keep, you know, screaming about it, but their voice is going to be overrun. It's going to be drowned out by just the droves of new people coming in that are excited about the fact that, wow, I can just come in and write coffee script. It's pleasant. Uh, you know, if you've read the good parts and you've at least written some JavaScript, then I'm okay with you writing JS in, in coffee script. If you think about the situation that developers are in, we're always in flux. We're always moving up the scale, the Dreyfus model of skills acquisition, right? And so we're we're constantly going through these rites of passage. The the big illusion when you come into development is that you will just learn to understand everything and then you'll be good. But the reality is you learn to understand things. And then you see them differently, and you need to understand that. That's Alan Stevens talking about CoffeeScript and the change that's happening in the JavaScript community. So right here is where this episode sat for months. One thing Scott and I don't want to do with this podcast is stir controversy. Yet controversy is part of our professional lives. So how can we do a podcast called This Developer's Life and not address it? There is a lot of anxiety in our industry brought on by the constant, rapid forces of change. It's easy to let it get to you, to let it go deep and be reminded, as I have been, of overwhelming conflicts you've tried your whole life to forget. If you don't have your defenses up, it can be quite bruising. But if your defenses are up, are you capable of listening to an opposing opinion? Are you capable of learning? Dave Ward and I talked about the paradox of holding an opinion while remaining open-minded. When people take sides and they start arguing, when it comes to the point that it's no longer, you know, could even be considered a debate and it's definitely an argument, I don't think I've ever seen anyone ever change their mind on the internet, you know, as, as a result of an argument. I'm, I'm sort of the same way as you. I, I really try hard to, to approach things with an open mind and not, you know, bias, take my biases in when I'm learning or other, otherwise I'm wasting my time. I'm not learning as well as I could. It seems to me that the smarter a person is, uh, the more concepts, deep concepts they're able to grasp, that maybe that, that transcends their ability to learn something new, so they get sort of stuck. For instance, a lot of the smartest people I know are, of course, developers, right? And you try and show them something that they don't know, the longer they've been doing it, the more they just say, ah. But then, yeah. like, like uh, with Derek Bailey, I, tried, I can't even get knockout out of my mouth. <laughs> and he, he laughs at me. Uh, and then you know, I, I keep telling him, no. You know, and the guy's really smart. I think this is where the arguments spring from. Is you've got two people here, right? I'm a smart guy. He's a smart guy. One of them is just muting the other. 
<laughs> you know, it, it's funny actually. Uh, Derek, Derek Bailey himself, uh, we, uh, and, and not in a contentious way whatsoever, but uh, he and I were um, talking together about uh, just uh, silly stuff. You know, co- uh, semicolons versus none, and single quotes versus double quotes, and uh, you know that sort of thing in uh, JavaScript. And uh, he is firmly in the uh, the double quote camp. Uh, you should um, terminate all your strings with double quotes, and I, I like single quotes better. And it was funny because you know we you know in no way were arguing you know bitterly or anything like that. We probably spent five seconds on it, but it was very clear that as soon as that topic came up and we both mentioned what side we fell down on, uh, that neither one of us were going to say anything to change the other's mind. You know, and, and we both even mentioned a couple of you. Know, very small reasons why you know why the we prefer one or the other didn't matter though you know i mean we weren't going to change our minds and that wasn't even to the point of an argument i mean that was the as friendly a debate as you can have you know and it just i think yeah once you get maybe set in your ways it is very hard to change your mind there's a story that i read at night to my daughters called the zacks by dr seuss which two fuzzy creatures called zacks meet in the middle of a wide open plain One's going north, one's going south. They run into each other. Neither will move out of the way. How do you act like a Zax and learn anything? When do your opinions become something more? When do they become a sort of faith that you have to hold on to at all cost? No, sure. It's it's cognitive uh, dissonance, right? Like the you, you go beyond the point where really you you know that you should have changed your mind, and you start making bizarre excuses or or trying to find some way to justify what you, what you think instead of because sometimes it's it's a long road to, to unwind, right? You've gone a long way down it, and you you've you've really held on to this thing for maybe years, and to to admit that maybe there was a better way, it feels it's tough. It's tough for I think for almost all people to admit that they were wrong and and to. To, to go back and, and be, become a beginner, you know, at least in one aspect of what they do again, you know, we place maybe even more emphasis on, you know, being experts and, and, and all of that. And they have all these ridiculous tiles like Rockstar and Guru that, you know, map to someone who has learned and learned and learned all their lives and become, you know, the, the pinnacle of achievement and knowledge. When really what we should be doing is you know, unlearning and relearning almost every few years, things change so fast for us. You know, it, it's like the adjectives and nouns are wrong and they, they encourage us to, to be inflexible when we should be super flexible. My love. We should be super flexible until someone says something we don't like and then we get mad. Sometimes I wonder if this is a guy thing, this cognitive dissonance where we want everyone else to be open, flexible and kind Till we're headed north on the wide open plains of the internet, and they better not be going south. So we need a woman's perspective here. I asked Sarah Chips to give us her thoughts. Is this a guy thing? When I was um when I was ten or eleven, I had a girlfriend over that lived up the street, and she had a um she had a, an older brother who played football, and he had um we had a field behind our house. And him and his friends were playing football, for just running or something, something that they were doing. We were outside. And all of a sudden, one of his friends tackled him. And then all ten of his friends jumped on top. 
Like, they just, like, it was, like, this, and my, my friend next to me, she was freaking out, and she, like, ran out to the center of the field, so worried about her brother, and I just, I couldn't understand, um, what the, uh, like, why, what, what, what was the purpose of this whole pile-on, you know, like, why is everyone jumping on this one guy, like, what is fun about this? Um, and there's, I think there's something to be said about this, my, my youngest brother, he is 11 years younger than me, um, and him and his friends do ridiculous things, things that are ridiculous to me. Um, like, they once had a game called Punch Yourself in the Face, where they would all stand in a circle, and one guy would start by punching himself in the face, and then the next guy would do it harder. And then the next guy would do it harder than that. And then whoever stayed in this game the longest, who essentially punched himself in the face hardest, won. Did you ever figure out, or did you ever come up with a theory about why everybody jumped on the one guy? Um, at the time, I had no idea. I thought he must have done something wrong, maybe, or that... He had something that they all wanted. I could not figure it out. It wasn't until I was gotten older and my brothers got older that I realized this is something that boys do. Like my one, like for a while they were, and like my brothers, I don't really consider them to be um, like particularly. Uh, I, I don't know, aggressive. They're not like particularly aggressive at all, but just things like. Um, dressing up in layers of clothes and then shooting each other with paintball guns <laughs> and like building these like ramps these we have like a hill behind our house they would go sledding and they would build like these eight foot ramps who would like go up eight feet and then just drop and then like they would go down the hill and they would do this and they would get seriously injured and it would be hilarious <laughs> and I don't I would never understand like what is I don't I don't get what you're doing. Like, I don't understand the entertainment value. I don't, I don't get it. And, um, I don't know that I ever will. Sometimes I wonder, you know, that saying about if a tree falls in the woods and you're not there to hear it. Right. Sometimes I wonder if boys would do that without someone like you watching. That's a really good question. No, or even someone like each other watching, you know, like, cause they, they, they egg each other on a lot. And I wonder if, like, um, if alone they would be doing these things, these, like, eight-foot ramps and just fall off the sides. I don't, I don't know. There's just a different interaction, and I don't know if it's how we're socialized or, or how, how we're chem our, we're, our chemicals work, but um, there's, a, there's a pile on, you know. There's the um, everyone jumping on this guy for having an opinion. And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it could be semicolons. Another day, it's a sexist tweet. Another day, it's um, a certain sponsor at a hackathon or, or photos or anything, you know? Um, and I guess it's the nature of the Internet that we all kind of, um, you know, pick sides and everyone's, um, you know, everyone's super, you know, people are super rational and, you know, everyone's very political and, um, it's kind of like the uh, that everyone jumping on that one guy for some reason. Um, but I don't know. What, I I love it though. I, I I think it's so interesting, and I think it's 
the evolution of software and like natural selection with the internet. Nothing like proving a point by punching yourself in the face. Why does that seem familiar to me? Hmm. No, it might seem ridiculous, but I think that it's a perfect symbol of what we do to ourselves by taking up sides and beating down our peers. After hearing that story from Sarah, I began to wonder what the opposite of the punch yourself in the face game is. What is the opposite of proving your superiority through masochism? You might find out while dropping your kids off at school. Scott Hanselman did. I, uh, I, so I dropped off the four-year-old today at school, and, and he kind of gets shy at school. Somewhere, you know, he's jazzed about school, and he's totally stoked on the way. In the car, he's anticipating it, and then somewhere in the marching from the car to the main door, he slowly collapses in on himself, and he becomes extremely shy. And the next thing you know, I'm trying to drop him off, and he's attached to my leg. He's like a barnacle. So I'm trying to peel this barnacle off of my leg. and. At the same time, across the room, a little girl comes in, same age. And I think her name was Charlie or something. And one of the teachers says to me, oh, Charlie made it back. We weren't sure if she was gonna join us this year. And in the middle of that, this little boy, same size, same age, same as my son, but not shy, not on my leg, runs over to Charlie and goes, Charlie, you made it. Oh, you, you're here. I am so excited. And then starts pumping his fist like Tiger Woods. You know how Tiger Woods does that kind of like half Tebow? And he goes like this. He says, yes, yes, you're back. And then he grabs her by the shoulders and kind of like gives her a shake. Not in a mean way, but like, and he shakes her and he says, yes, did you see that? Charlie, you're back. Ooh, yes, Charlie, I'm excited that you're back. I haven't even seen my kids that excited at Christmas. Either Charlie's really awesome, or this kid is just jazzed about life. I wish I could get that jazz before I go to bed. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, the day is over. Yes, yes, I am done with work. Bam, did you see that? I am so finished. I'm going to sleep, Charlie. Going to bed. Rock on. Can you imagine if such a thing happened half the time on Twitter? The all caps exclamations of how awesome you are? It would make the snark just a little bit more bearable. And you might be thinking that it would never happen. That exuberant little boy at Scott's son's school could just not exist on the internet. But he does. His name is Aaron Patterson. Or, as he's better known, Tenderlove. Hello. <laughs> Uh, sorry, go ahead. Aaron is a core contributor to Rails and is known for his somewhat outlandish, over-the-top positivity and fun. To say he is loved in the Ruby community is an understatement. I talked with him about the importance of being positive, about giving hugs instead of venom. Um, well, mainly the thing is that I drink a lot during the day. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, I well, I don't actually know why I do that. I mainly 
Um, I don't know. I guess that's just how I am. Uh, the thing is, uh, the thing is, uh, like, I'm not always, I'm not always happy. I just, okay, my job is um, open source programmer. I do open source stuff, and that's just what I do on my, that's my day job. I always, I always wanted to do that. Like, I always wanted that to be my day job, and I finally got it to be my day job. But it turns out, like, programming in the open source world is really stressful. It's because like there's so many people like there's so many people to interact with like there's an infinite number of people on the internet basically right and if an infinite number of people have like you know just one spare minute or whatever then they're going to comment on a ticket or do something like that it's like incredibly overwhelming so uh basically the reason I do it is or the reason I try to keep a positive attitude all the time is basically as a coping mechanism for dealing with stress. When you're when you're doing any sort of interaction on the internet, you have to realize like people don't people don't actually see you. So if I'm like if I'm like frustrated or upset or I say something sarcastic in person, then you know people realize that and they just kind of like shrug it off or whatever or laugh or you know it's like a normal human interaction. But the problem is as soon as you write that down or put that online, like, people people don't get that feeling from you. You know what I mean? And they're able, like, they take it out of context or they take it personally or something like that. So I try to, like, I try to go out of my way to be cordial online, mainly so that we can have, um, so it's more productive, right? I mean, I don't want it, I don't want something devolving into some sort of silly argument. Like, I actually want to get, for example, the mass assignment thing fixed or whatever bug it is. Like I actually want to want to get it fixed and arguing about semicolons doesn't get us there. <laughs> What's interesting to me is like those types of issues, like semicolon put versus patch, the size of the change, like if it's a small change or if it has low impact, people tend to glom onto it and it becomes like people tend to make it a bigger deal than it actually is like it's it's just a classic example of bike shedding i mean it's a perfect like bike shed scenario for example the put versus patch thing is like well you know you had one camp that was like i want to use you know we should be using the correct http verbs and then another camp which is well even if we use the correct http verbs what impact does this actually have on real applications which is basically no impact on real applications as you can probably tell aaron is a pretty affable guy within minutes of the beginning of this interview we were both laughing like goofy kids now, despite how it seems, Aaron's work isn't easy, and he doesn't just sit around all day giving people hugs on Twitter. He has to deal with a huge issue list on a very high-profile project, Ruby on Rails. So how does he stay so positive? I learned, I learned Ruby while I was a Java programmer, and it actually made me incredibly depressed. Like, I was insanely depressed. Because if I could just write, like, map, if I could just write map, I would have been done by now, but I can't. I have to create a new iterator and do a while loop and test for the next thing and do all this, like do all this crap that I knew that, you know, I could do in Ruby in like two seconds and be done with my job. So basically what I did was um, all of my free time became, or my hobby became Ruby programming. 
then my day job became Ruby programming, but the hobby didn't stop. And then my day job became doing open source, which was also my hobby. So it was basically like, I'm doing my hobby all day long. But the problem is like, you get so many people asking for this bug or that bug to be fixed. And when you're used to it being your hobby and then it becomes your day job too, it's difficult to pull yourself away. I, I work from home, okay? I get kind of lonely working from home. And it's a lot more work than you would think it is. And it's actually a pretty demanding and sometimes frustrating job. And coupling that with the fact that I work at home and get kind of lonely, like at the end of the week, I'm destroyed. Like I'm completely destroyed. So I just decided like, oh, screw it. Like most of my, most of my online interactions are, or most of my interactions during the day are online. Like basically Twitter is my water cooler. So I was like, I had a hard week this week. I'm giving my Twitter followers a hug. I want to give my friends a hug. I had a hard week. So then I just started doing that every Friday. And now, like, a lot of people do it. And I did not expect that. <laughs> in my mind, I see two Zacks in the wide open internet plane. One of them has a big beard and a fake wig. When they meet, gives the other Zacks a great big hug. Since I started doing it, um, People give me hugs at conferences and stuff. I really didn't. I, I like. I really didn't expect this at all. <laughs> I'm just like. I don't know. I'm. I'm actually a pretty shy person. So I'm like. Ah, okay. I'll give you a hug. Okay. <laughs> like I'm really happy. I'm really happy that um, people can be. People can be so positive. That's the thing. That's the thing. Is like. When you read all the arguments, people flaming each other on the internet, for every one of those people out there, there are like 10 nice people who just don't care about your argument. There are tons of people out there who are just like, they're just not involved. And I want, I want those people to be seen more. You know what I mean? Like they, I really believe that people are good and they're not trying to like get angry at each other on the internet all the time. And most people just aren't that way. I should probably tell you why I'm called Tender Love though, or why, why I have that website. It, it actually has nothing to do with being nice. <laughs> um, okay, I need to jump in here as our audio got just a bit garbled. But here's the scene. Aaron's out with some friends, some girls and some guys, and they're talking about dating. The guys want to know what the girls are really thinking while the date is happening. And the question comes up. What is the worst thing that a man can say to you while you're, you know, when you're like making out or whatever, or when you're on, you know, when you're on a date? And one of my friends says, Oh, the worst thing is if they say, I want to make tender love to you. <laughs> and so I just, I put that in my head. I went home. I registered the domain name tenderlovemaking.com. I put up a website and then I sent her a link to it. <laughs> so the entire reason I have the website was basically to troll my friend. 
the hilarious side benefit of it, which is kind of this. This is something that kind of frustrates me now. But the side benefit was like the very first talk I gave at a conference. It was a lightning talk. The very first talk I gave at a conference, like talked about my thing. And at the very end of it, I was like, and I wrote a, you know, I wrote a blog post about this and you can go read it at tenderlovemaking.com. And the entire audience just burst out laughing. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious. But the thing is, so like, I like having that name because uh, when you say when you say it to somebody, it like it disarms them, I think, or it prevents any sort of it at least helps to prevent any sort of conflict that you might have with that person. Like there's no um, you're not trying to sound cool or anything. Right. It's obviously like it's obviously not a cool name. I'm not coming up to you and being like, I am code wizard. I've had it for so long and I've been blogging technical content there for so long that when you say it, nobody laughs anymore. <laughs> I'm like, man, why are they not laughing? This is a ridiculous name. I shouldn't have this name. You should be like, <laughs> how is this a normal thing now? I mean, I guess it's like, it's good that it's a normal thing now, but like, it should, come on. <laughs> We couldn't have made this episode without Aaron. Talking to him made me focus and remember why I am doing this in the first place. Talking to him also made me confront some of the conflicts of the past that I frankly still wrestle with today. I used to be a strangely happy guy, perhaps not to the degree that Aaron is. I wouldn't get random hugs from strangers, but I had an infectious ability to stay positive. I think I might have let that guy go a bit. I think many of us have. It would be easy to look outward for the cause of this change in me. To blame Twitter, comments on my blog, my friends at Microsoft. But I think it's more what I choose to see. Every major religion has the same focus, being kind. Especially to people that you don't know. I like the way Buddhism puts it. See the good in all things. I used to think this was about getting into heaven, or leveling up spiritually, but I think it's much simpler than that. It's about retaining the sheer love that you had once when you were a child. When you saw Charlie come to school, even if you forgot a semicolon. So, in closing, sincerely, a big hug from me to you. Thank you so much for listening and being patient with us as we took our time with this episode. Have a good one. And again, a big thank you to the folks at Code Rush for Visual Studio for helping support this developer's life. Code Rush has the fastest rename, the fastest find all references, fastest test runner. When it comes to creating, modifying, and refactoring code, nothing's faster than Code Rush. It's been on my ultimate power tools list since forever. Get Code Rush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash Code Rush. We appreciate their support.